0: SECTION 2 OF SIGNS OF CHANGE BY WILLIAM MORRIS THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN RECORDING BY DEBORAH BRABIN HOW WE LIVE AND HOW WE MIGHT LIVE, PART 2 NOW TO GET CLOSER TO DETAILS YOU PROBABLY KNOW THAT EVERY MAN IN CIVILIZATION IS WORTH, SO TO SAY, MORE THAN HIS SKIN. WORKING AS HE MUST WORK SOCIALLY, HE CAN PRODUCE MORE THAN WILL KEEP HIMSELF ALIVE AND IN FAIR CONDITION. And this has been so for many centuries, from the time, in fact, when warring tribes began to make their conquered enemies slaves instead of killing them. And, of course, his capacity of producing these extras has gone on increasing faster and faster, till today one man will weave, for instance, as much cloth in a week as will clothe a whole village for years. And the real question of civilization has always been, what are we to do with this extra produce of labor? a question which the phantom fear of starvation and its fellow desire of domination has driven men to answer pretty badly always and worst of all perhaps in these present days when the extra produce has grown with such prodigious speed the practical answer has always been for man to struggle with his fellow for private possession of undue shares of these extras and all kinds of devices have been employed by those who found themselves in possession of the power of taking them from others to keep those whom they had robbed in perpetual subjection and these latter, as I have already hinted, had no chance of resisting this fleecing as long as they were few and scattered, and consequently could have little sense of their common oppression. But now that, owing to the very pursuit of these undue shares of profit or extra earnings, men have become more dependent on each other for production, and have been driven, as I said before, to combine together for that end more completely, the power of the workers, that is to say of the robbed or fleeced class, has enormously increased." and it only remains for them to understand that they have this power. When they do that, they will be able to give the right answer to the question, what is to be done with the extra products of labour, over and above what will keep the labourer alive to labour? Which answer is, that the worker will have all that he produces, and not be fleeced at all? And remember that he produces collectively, and therefore he will do effectively what work is required of him according to his capacity, and of the produce of that work he will have what he needs. "'because, you see, he cannot use more than he needs. "'He can only waste it. "'If this arrangement seems to you preposterously ideal, "'as well it may, looking at our present condition, "'I must back it up by saying that "'when men are organised so that their labour is not wasted, "'they will be relieved from the fear of starvation "'and the desire of domination, "'and will have freedom and leisure to look around "'and see what they really do need. "'Now something of that I can conceive for my own self.' and I will lay my ideas before you, so that you may compare them with your own, asking you always to remember that the very differences in men's capacities and desires, after the common need of food and shelter is satisfied, will make it easier to deal with their desires in a communal state of things. What is it that I need, therefore, which my surrounding circumstances can give me, my dealings with my fellow men, setting aside inevitable accidents which cooperation and forethought cannot control, if there be such?' Well, first of all, I claim good health, and I say that a vast proportion of people in civilization scarcely even know what that means. To feel mere life a pleasure, to enjoy the moving one's limbs and exercising one's bodily powers, to play, as it were, with sun and wind and rain, to rejoice in satisfying the due bodily appetites of a human animal, without fear of degradation or sense of wrongdoing. yes and therewithal to be well-formed straight-limbed strongly knit expressive of countenance to be in a word beautiful that also i claim if we cannot have this claim satisfied we are but poor creatures after all and i claim it in the teeth of those terrible doctrines of asceticism which born of the despair of the oppressed and degraded have been for so many ages used as instruments for the continuance of that oppression and degradation and i believe that this claim for a healthy body for all of us carries with it all other due claims for who knows where the seeds of disease which even rich people suffer from were first sown from the luxury of an ancestor perhaps yet often i suspect from his poverty and for the poor a distinguished physicist has said that the poor suffer always from one disease hunger and at least i know this that if a man is overworked in any degree he cannot enjoy the sort of health i am speaking of nor can he if he is continually chained to one dull round of mechanical work with no hope at the other end of it nor if he lives in continual sordid anxiety for his livelihood nor if he is ill-housed nor if he is deprived of all enjoyment of the natural beauty of the world nor if he has no amusement to quicken the flow of his spirits from time to time all these things which touch more or less directly on his bodily condition are born of the claim i make to live in good health indeed i suspect that these good conditions must have been in force for several generations before a population in general will be really healthy as i have hinted above but also i doubt not that in the course of time they would joined to other conditions of which more hereafter gradually breed such a population living in enjoyment of animal life at least happy therefore and beautiful according to the beauty of their race. On this point I may note that the very variations in the races of men are caused by the conditions under which they live, and though in these rougher parts of the world we lack some of the advantages of climate and surroundings, yet, if we were working for livelihood and not for profit, we might easily neutralize many of the disadvantages of our climate, at least enough to give due scope to the full development of our race. Now the next thing I claim is education and you must not say that every English child is educated now, that sort of education will not answer my claim, though I cheerfully admit it is something. Something, and yet, after all, only class education. What I claim is liberal education. Opportunity, that is, to have my share of whatever knowledge there is in the world, according to my capacity or bent of mind, historical or scientific, and also to have my share of skill of hand which is about in the world, either in the industrial handicrafts or in the fine arts, Picture-painting, sculpture, music, acting, or the like. I claim to be taught, if I can be taught, more than one craft to exercise for the benefit of the community. You may think this is a large claim, but I am clear it is not too large a claim if the community is to have any gain out of my special capacities, if we are not all to be beaten down to a dull level of mediocrity as we are now, all but the very strongest and toughest of us. But also I know that this claim for education involves one for public advantages in the shape of public libraries, schools and the like, such as no private person, not even the richest, could command. But these I claim very confidently, being sure that no reasonable community could bear to be without such helps to a decent life. Again, the claim for education involves a claim for abundant leisure, which once more I make with confidence, because when once we have shaken off the slavery of profit labour would be organised so unwastefully that no heavy burden would be laid on the individual citizens every one of whom as a matter of course would have to pay his toll of some obviously useful work at present you must note that all the amazing machinery which we have invented has served only to increase the amount of profit bearing wares in other words to increase the amount of profit pouched by individuals for their own advantage part of which profit they use as capital for the production of more profit with ever the same waste attached to it, and part as private riches or means for luxurious living, which again is sheer waste, is in fact to be looked on as a kind of bonfire, on which rich men burn up the product of the labour they have fleeced from the workers beyond what they themselves can use. So I say that, in spite of our inventions, no worker works under the present system an hour the less on account of those labour-saving machines so-called, but under a happier state of things they would be used simply for saving labour, with the result of a vast amount of leisure gained for the community, to be added to that gained by the avoidance of the waste of useless luxury and the abolition of the service of commercial war. And I may say that as to that leisure, as I should in no case do any harm to anyone with it, so I should often do some direct good to the community with it, by practising arts or occupations for my hands or brain, which would give pleasure to many of the citizens. In other words, a great deal of the best work done would be done in the leisure time of men relieved from any anxiety as to their livelihood, and eager to exercise their special talent, as all men, nay, all animals, are. Now again, this leisure would enable me to please myself and expand my mind by travelling if I had a mind to it, because, say, for instance, that I were a shoemaker— if due social order were established, it by no means follows that I should always be obliged to make shoes in one place. A due amount of easily conceivable arrangement would enable me to make shoes in Rome, say, for three months, and to come back with new ideas of building gathered from the site of the works of past ages, amongst other things which would perhaps be of service in London. But now, in order that my leisure might not degenerate into idleness and aimlessness— I must set up a claim for due work to do. Nothing to my mind is more important than this demand, and I must ask your leave to say something about it. I have mentioned that I should probably use my leisure for doing a great deal of what is now called work. But it is clear that if I am a member of a socialist community, I must do my due share of rougher work than this, my due share of what my capacity enables me to do, that is, no fitting of me to a procrustean bed. But even that share of work, necessary to the existence of the simplest social life, must, in the first place, whatever else it is, be reasonable work. That is, it must be such work as a good citizen can see the necessity for. As a member of the community, I must have agreed to do it. To take two strong instances of the contrary, I won't submit to be dressed up in red and marched off to shoot at my French or German or Arab friend in a quarrel that I don't understand. I will rebel sooner than do that. "'nor will I submit to waste my time and energies "'in making some trifling toy "'which I know only a fool can desire. "'I will rebel sooner than do that. "'However, you may be sure "'that in a state of social order "'I shall have no need to rebel "'against any such pieces of unreason, "'only I am forced to speak "'from the way we live "'to the way we might live. "'Again, if the necessary reasonable work "'be of a mechanical kind, "'I must be helped to do it by a machine. "'Not to cheapen my labour. "'but so that as little time as possible may be spent upon it, "'and that I may be able to think of other things "'while I am tending the machine. "'And if the work be specially rough or exhausting, "'you will, I am sure, agree with me in saying "'that I must take turns in doing it with other people. "'I mean, I mustn't, for instance, "'be expected to spend my working hours "'always at the bottom of a coal-pit. "'I think such work as that ought to be largely volunteer work, "'and done, as I say, in spells. "'And what I say of very rough work, "'I say also of nasty work.' On the other hand, I should think very little of the manhood of a stout and healthy man who did not feel a pleasure in doing rough work, always supposing him to work under the conditions I have been speaking of, namely, feeling that it was useful and consequently honoured, and that it was not continuous or hopeless, and that he was really doing it of his own free will. The last claim I make for my work is that the places I worked in, factories or workshops, should be pleasant, just as the fields where our most necessary work is done are pleasant believe me there is nothing in the world to prevent this being done save the necessity of making profits on all wares in other words the wares are cheapened at the expense of people being forced to work in crowded unwholesome squalid noisy dens that is to say they are cheapened at the expense of the workman's life well so much for my claims as to my necessary work my tribute to the community I believe people would find, as they advanced in their capacity for carrying on social order, that life so lived was much less expensive than we can now have any idea of, and that after a little people would rather be anxious to seek work than to avoid it, that our working hours would rather be merry parties of men and maids, young men and old, enjoying themselves over their work, than the grumpy weariness it mostly is now. Then would come the time for the new birth of art, so much talked of, so long deferred, People could not help showing their mirth and pleasure in their work, and would be always wishing to express it in a tangible and more or less enduring form, and the workshop would once more be a school of art, whose influence no one could escape from. And again that word art leads me to my last claim, which is that the material surroundings of my life should be pleasant, generous, and beautiful. That I know is a large claim, but this I will say about it, that if it cannot be satisfied, if every civilized community cannot provide such surroundings for all its members, I do not want the world to go on. It is a mere misery that man has ever existed. I do not think it possible under the present circumstances to speak too strongly on this point. I feel sure that the time will come when people will find it difficult to believe that a rich community such as ours, having such command over external nature, could have submitted to live such a mean shabby dirty life as we do and once for all there is nothing in our circumstances save the hunting of profit that drives us into it it is profit that draws men into enormous unmanageable aggregations called towns for instance profit which crowds them up when they are there into quarters without gardens or open spaces profit which won't take the most ordinary precautions against wrapping a whole district in a cloud of sulphurous smoke which turns beautiful rivers into filthy sewers, which condemns all but the rich to live in houses idiotically cramped and confined at the best, and at the worst, in houses for whose wretchedness there is no name. I say it is almost incredible that we should bear such crass stupidity as this, nor should we if we could help it. We shall not bear it when the workers get out of their heads that they are but an appendage to profit-grinding, that the more profits that are made, the more employment at high wages there will be for them and that therefore all the incredible filth, disorder, and degradation of modern civilizations are signs of their prosperity. So far from that, they are signs of their slavery. When they are no longer slaves, they will claim as a matter of course that every man and every family should be generously lodged, that every child should be able to play in a garden close to the place his parents live in, that the houses should, by their obvious decency and order, be ornaments to nature, not disfigurements of it, FOR THE DECENCY AND ORDER ABOVE MENTIONED, WHEN CARRIED TO THE DUE PITCH, WOULD MOST ASSUREDLY LEAD TO BEAUTY IN BUILDING. ALL THIS, OF COURSE, WOULD MEAN THE PEOPLE, THAT IS, ALL SOCIETY, DULY ORGANIZED, HAVING IN ITS OWN HANDS THE MEANS OF PRODUCTION TO BE OWNED BY NO INDIVIDUAL BUT USED BY ALL AS OCCASION CALLED FOR ITS USE, AND CAN ONLY BE DONE ON THOSE TERMS on any other terms people will be driven to accumulate private wealth for themselves and thus as we have seen to waste the goods of the community and perpetuate the division into classes which means continual war and waste as to what extent it may be necessary or desirable for people under social order to live in common we may differ pretty much according to our tendencies towards social life for my part i can't see why we should think it a hardship to eat with the people we work with I am sure that as to many things, such as valuable books, pictures, and splendour of surroundings, we shall find it better to club our means together. And I must say that often, when I have been sickened by the stupidity of the mean, idiotic rabbit warrens that rich men built themselves in Bayswater and elsewhere, I console myself with visions of the noble communal hall of the future, unsparing of materials, generous in worthy ornament alive with the best thoughts of our time and the past embodied in the best art which a free and manly people could produce such an abode of man as no private enterprise could come anywhere near for beauty and fitness because only collective thought and collective life could cherish the aspirations which would give birth to its beauty or have the skill and leisure to carry them out i for my part should think it very much the reverse of a hardship if i had to read my books and meet my friends in such a place nor do i think i am better off to live in a vulgar stuccoed house crowded with upholstery that i despise in all respects degrading to the mind and enervating to the body to live in simply because i call it my own or my house it is not an original remark but i make it here that my home is where i meet people with whom i sympathize whom i love well that is my opinion as a middle-class man Whether a working-class man would think his family possession of his wretched little room better than his share of the palace of which I have spoken, I must leave to his opinion, and to the imaginations of the middle-class, who perhaps may sometimes conceive the fact that the said worker is cramped for space and comfort, say, on washing-day. Before I leave this matter of the surroundings of life, I wish to meet a possible objection— I have spoken of machinery being used freely for releasing people from the more mechanical and repulsive part of necessary labour. And I know that to some cultivated people, people of the artistic turn of mind, machinery is particularly distasteful, and they will be apt to say you will never get your surroundings pleasant, so long as you are surrounded by machinery. I don't quite admit that. It is the allowing machines to be our masters and not our servants that so injures the beauty of life nowadays. In other words, it is the token of the terrible crime we have fallen into, of using our control of nature for the purpose of enslaving people. We, careless meantime, of how much happiness we rob their lives of. Yet for the consolation of the artists, I will say that I believe indeed that a state of social order would probably lead at first to a great development of machinery for really useful purposes, because people will still be anxious about getting through the work necessary to holding society together, but that after a while they will find that there is not so much work to do as they expected, and that then they will have leisure to reconsider the whole subject. And if it seems to them that a certain industry would be carried on more pleasantly as regards the worker, and more effectually as regards the goods, by using handwork rather than machinery, they will certainly get rid of their machinery, because it will be possible for them to do so. It isn't possible now. We are not at liberty to do so. We are slaves to the monsters we have created, and I have a kind of hope that the very elaboration of machinery in a society whose purpose is not the multiplication of labour, as it now is, but the carrying on of a pleasant life, as it would be under social order, that the elaboration of machinery, I say, will lead to the simplification of life, and so once more to the limitation of machinery. Well... I will now let my claims for decent life stand as I have made them. To sum them up in brief, they are, first, a healthy body, second, an active mind in sympathy with the past, the present, and the future, thirdly, occupation fit for a healthy body and an active mind, and fourthly, a beautiful world to live in. These are the conditions of life which the refined man of all ages has set before him as the thing above all others to be attained too often he has been so foiled in their pursuit that he has turned longing eyes backward to the days before civilization when man's sole business was getting himself food from day to day and hope was dormant in him or at least could not be expressed by him indeed if civilization as many think forbids the realization of the hope to attain such conditions of life then civilization forbids mankind to be happy and if that be the case then let us stifle all aspirations towards progress Nay, all feelings of mutual good-will and affection between men, and snatch each one of us what we can from the heap of wealth that fools create for rogues to grow fat on. Or better still, let us as speedily as possible find some means of dying like men, since we are forbidden to live like men. Rather, however, take courage, and believe that we of this age, in spite of all its torment and disorder, have been born to a wonderful heritage— fashioned of the work of those that have gone before us, and that the day of the organization of man is dawning. It is not we who can build up the new social order. The past ages have done the most of that work for us, but we can clear our eyes to the signs of the times, and we shall then see that the attainment of a good condition of life is being made possible for us, and that it is now our business to stretch out our hands to take it. And how? chiefly, I think, by educating people to a sense of their real capacities as men, so that they may be able to use to their own good the political power which is rapidly being thrust upon them, to get them to see that the old system of organising labour for individual profit is becoming unmanageable, and that the whole people have now got to choose between the confusion resulting from the break-up of that system and the determination to take in hand the labour now organised for profit, and use its organization for the livelihood of the community, to get people to see that individual profit-makers are not a necessity for labor, but an obstruction to it, and that, not only or chiefly because they are the perpetual pensioners of labor, as they are, but rather because of the waste which their existence as a class necessitates. All this we have to teach people, when we have taught ourselves, and I admit that the work is long and burdensome. As I began by saying, People have been made so timorous of change by the terror of starvation that even the unluckiest of them are stolid and hard to move. Hard as the work is, however, its reward is not doubtful. The mere fact that a body of men, however small, are banded together as socialist missionaries shows that the change is going on. As the working classes, the real organic part of society, take in these ideas, hope will arise in them, and they will claim changes in society many of which doubtless will not tend directly towards their emancipation because they will be claimed without due knowledge of the one thing necessary to claim equality of condition but which indirectly will help to break up our rotten sham society while that claim for equality of condition will be made constantly and with growing loudness till it must be listened to and then at last it will be only a step over the border and the civilized world will be socialized and looking back on what has been, we shall be astonished to think of how long we submitted to live as we live now. End of section two.